Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. Hey, everybody. My name is Brenton, as Brad said, and um, my wife, her, her name is Amy. She sends her love. She's uh, with our kids in Lynchburg, Virginia. We have three kids. Uh, one of them is going into middle school. She's our oldest. She's our only daughter. I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I have no feelings about that. And our middle son is nine, and our youngest son is about to turn six, going into kindergarten. So that's our family. That's a little bit who we are. I've also uh, I've been in ministry for, I've served the church my entire adult life, so for the last 13 years. I grew up um, in a pastor's home, so I've, I've really only known life in or around pastoral ministry in, as it relates to church. And so I've been on uh, a hiatus in the month of July. Um, I'm, I'm making sure not to call it a sabbatical because I'm supposed to have a full sabbatical. And if I call this a sabbatical, I'll think that we've done that. That's supposed to be a little bit longer. Um, but we've just, our, our church gave us the permission to just rest and, and be and, and attend to our hearts, attend to our family. So I've been doing that. This is the end of that. So I have not preached in a month. This could be terrible. Maybe I forgot how to do it. I don't know. Um, also, when a preacher doesn't say things for a long time, sometimes they have too much to say. So you pray for me, I'll pray for you. Uh, and also, I got the opportunity to just attend church um, a couple of Sundays during this month. Um, only being a person with a family who's seeking to be with Jesus and to be with God's people. N- nothing, to, nothing to do, just be. And I mean, I feel like we could spend, if we, had, if we could have coffee in a living room, we could spend a lot of time talking about this. But for me, uh, I, one of the things I took away was like, church is weird. So if you're new to this, like if you're not used to this, um, I understand where you're coming from in a way that I haven't understood in the first 35 years of my life. Um, Church is weird, Um, but it's also, there's no place like it. There's nothing like the church of the living Jesus. Um, So whatever, whatever tradition you come from, whatever background you come from, whatever our culture or expression is, there's something about the church gathered Uh, with hearts that are hungry to be in the presence of Jesus together and with hearts that are postured with genuine hospitality to welcome and to love even strangers like their family, there's just no other place like that on the planet. And so what we're doing here matters. Um, One of the questions that I had as I was attending churches in my community was like, why do people do this? Like people get up, drag their kids if you got kids out of the house, prioritize being here. What is it that really motivates people to gather on Sundays with the church and then to gather and scatter in the ways that we do throughout the week together? Um, and, and for me, um, I have come to see the beauty of the church that is alive, the, the word of God that is living and active, the church that is alive with the Holy Spirit. That, that these moments really do matter. Not because they're perfect, not because they're well-ordered or, or 
programmed out because the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is here among his people. Um, so I believe that. Because I believe that, it is almost an overwhelming privilege just to be here with you together in this moment. So um, I'm going to ask you uh, to do something. If you're physically able and willing, would you please stand? I'm going to read the scriptures. And I believe the text is going to be on the screen. If you've got, um, I don't, this, is a, this is a Bible. They still make them in, hard, in hardback, softback. You can get them. Uh, Amazon, n- not a problem. Uh, if you've got a digital copy, that works just as well. Uh, so I'm going to be in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We're just going to read that verse, and I'm going to go over to Ephesians chapter 3. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, it should be up on the screens around us. Um, In our church, we have a tradition where after we read the scriptures, there is something that we say in response. And so after I finish reading this text, I just want to invite you to just say out loud, come Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's practice that now. Come Holy Spirit. Okay, this is the word of the Lord, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. Someone say witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now we'll flip over to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I... Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, you have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've briefly written above. By reading this, you're going to be able to understand my insights into the mystery of Christ, This wasn't made known to people in other generations as it's now been revealed through his apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit. But but here is that revelation that that the nations are now also co-heirs, members of the same body, the same family, partners in the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the nations the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who's created all things. And this is so that God's multifaceted wisdom would now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose, accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they're your glory. And so for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit 
and that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. And so now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we could ever ask, all that we could ever imagine, according to the power that is at work in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So would you just extend your hands in front of you if you're able to. Just take a deep breath. And just pray out loud if you would, if you feel comfortable doing so, come Holy Spirit. Amen. You can have a seat. The Christian philosopher and teacher, by the way, I'm about to get into this. I heard, I heard that you're a church that likes to talk back, that we can do this together. Okay, don't let me down. You made promises. The Christian philosopher and teacher Dallas Willard said, faith is a life. Faith is a life. What does that mean? Following Jesus, this thing we call being a Christian, it's not just an internal belief system or a moral code or set of values. It's a way of life also. A way of life that bears witness to Jesus. That's an important word. So here, here we go. Here's, the, here's, the, here's where we do this together. Uh, so my church, they're a little bit more subdued. And we're trying to draw them out. So I'll do the, I'll do the hey, someone say witness. And okay, there you go. You didn't even need it. And they're like, I mean, maybe. Don't tell me what to do. Uh, so, so the word witness matters. That's going to be important. So someone say witness. Followers of Jesus live a life that bears witness to Jesus. In the book of Acts, where we started, that word witness has the sense of sharing about what you've seen and what you've heard. So you don't have to be an expert. You just, this, I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I found. This is what I know to be true, and I'm just sharing it with you. To bear witness specifically about Jesus. What we have seen, what we have heard, what we have experienced in relationship with Jesus Followers of Jesus bear witness to that. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is on display through what we say and what we do as the church. That's the essence of being a witness in the biblical sense. Um, when I got married in 2010, my wife and I moved to Atlanta, and we joined a church planting team. And when we were down there, there was one Memorial Day weekend. Anybody been to Atlanta? Anybody familiar with the city? So it's a, there's a beltway, and then there's a, a highway that runs kind of through the middle. That's I-20. And we're going out I-20 in West Atlanta. And we're coming home from like a Memorial Day shindig with some friends. And we're driving down I-20. And it's like a movie. It, it happened in slow motion in my memory. Uh, a car comes up beside us. And I mean, I, preachers exaggerate. I'm not exaggerating. The car, what I saw happen was this car coming towards us and as it came into our view, flipped over the front of our car, landed on its wheels and then careened into the ditch. Call me a liar, that's what happened. Um, it's on public record. This is how I know because this guy drives over 
he's, he's okay, but he was, he was just blitzed. He was schwizzed out of his mind. And we are like, what is going on? He hit a couple other cars. And so we pulled over to the, the side and we're looking around, making sure everybody's okay. Everybody's okay. As far as we can tell, he's out of his car stumbling down into the ditch. And we call the cops. The cops get there, take care of everybody. And they're like, uh, will, you, will you tell us what you saw? Will, will you tell us? You're the only one who saw this happen. Will you tell us what you saw? And, and after they take your statement down, you have to sign something. At least in Georgia at that time, in that moment, you had to sign something saying, uh, I'm willing to... Uh, testify to this in the court of law if something happens. Will you, do you commit to being a witness? And I was nervous, like, I don't know. I mean, do I need an attorney to present to sign this? I don't know. Uh, all they, and they said, we just need you to, to be willing to tell us what you just told us now. Just tell people what you've seen and what you've heard. So in that sense, we have this idea of what it means to be a witness. For followers of Jesus, we share our experience with Jesus. By what we say, and what we do, I, I grew up um, in, in Arkansas, so just a state over. And in my little community, uh, the word evangelism was really important. I don't, I don't want to trigger anybody. The word evangelism was important. And that, that, what they thought of was when you walk up to somebody and you, you say things to them that are, supposed to be, that are supposed to sound like good news, and you share the message of Jesus with somebody, and then you ask them to respond. Has, has this ever happened to you? Raise, this, raise your hand if that's happened to you, where somebody has walked up to you and just said, if you were to die today, if I were to kill you right now, <laughs> do you know where you would spend eternity? Not, honestly, not our best sales pitch. Uh, I was trained in that way of evangelism, like as a kid, to like knock on doors. I remember going with my youth pastor in middle school to this little apartment complex. We knocked on this door and this exhausted mother, we, through the door, you could hear like, Dinner, you could smell dinner, and you could hear children screaming. And we knock on the door, and this is in the, the time where you could do that without someone calling the police on you, and they would actually come to the door. And she's like, what? Baby in her hip. And we're like, if you were to die today, <laughs> door slam. Uh, so as followers of Jesus, we, we don't just knock on people's doors and say, if, if you were to be murdered in this moment, where would you spend eternity? We bear witness to the life, death, and resurrection by what we say and by what we do, by the nature of who we are together. And that's why there's nothing like the church. But the problem with that is we're busted up and the church is not perfect. We are not all whole people perfectly demonstrating the good news of the gospel to a watching world in a way that's compelling and winsome and inviting and welcoming. Not all of us, do. this church is, this church is nailing it, but I'm talking about other churches. Uh, none of us is perfect. And so how are we supposed to bear witness in a compelling and winsome way that the life, death, and like Jesus is the son of God who, lo who made this good world, grieved by its brokenness, has stepped into its brokenness to bear the weight of sin and death and evil, has conquered it through his resurrection, is empowering and alive in the church now by his Holy Spirit and is currently making all things new and is returning to fully and finally making all things new. How does a group of imperfect people bear witness to that good and beautiful and true reality? But this is our calling. This is what we're asked to do. The church is a new humanity that bears witness to a new creation. And this new humanity gathers in local communities like this one that are set apart by the nature of our relationships with God, 
We're set apart by the nature of our relationships with each other and with our neighbors. We're set apart by the nature of our relationship to the city and the rest of the world. The way of life together for followers of Jesus like transcends social barriers that, that may be normal in culture in the New Testament context. Paul, the book of Ephesians is absolutely incredible. He's saying, he, this is what he's saying, that there is the world that we see, the world that we know, the visible world, and, and then there is the, the kingdom of heaven, the, the invisible world, and that in Jesus, those two things overlap and the invisible world is made visible in Jesus. And then in verse 10 of chapter three, he says, now through the church too. So the kingdom of God, this good future that awaits us, is made manifest, is revealed in the church now. It's, it's breaking into the world now. And he says one of the primary examples, one of the primary evidences of this in the local church is the way that God forms a family, forms a people out of people who shouldn't even be in the same room together, where there's reconciliation that happens where social divides actually keep us apart. So, so along the lines of race and ethnicity, along the lines of religion and culture, along the lines of gender and social class, socioeconomic status and politics and name it, you name the divisions that keep us apart. The, the, one of the, for Paul in the book of Ephesians, the primary example is the way that God transcends ethnic and cultural barriers to form a new family in the name of Jesus. That that is in itself such a miracle that if people from the outside are looking in, they're like, how? Like, how is this possible? Like, we don't have a category for this kind of love, this kind of community that's formed across barriers that in, in culture typically keep us apart. Because in Christ, there is no more slave or free. There is no male or female. There is no Jew or Gentile. There are still males and females. There are still Jews and Gentiles. There are still people who, in the first century context, are enslaved and who are not. But when you walk through the doors of the house of God, metaphorically or literally, when you walk through the doors, all that dissolves and we're family. In a New Testament context, we just had communion this morning. Um, oftentimes, the church was gathered in households. And around the table would be senators and slaves gathered in probably the senator's home. Uh, and this, this preeminent figure in culture and this, in, in Greco-Roman society, largely speaking, um, there were like free men and then everyone else. So women were like considered deformed men, like just like close to men, but like because they're shaped differently and made up differently, they're not quite, they're, they're almost as good as men. This isn't, I'm not saying this, this is the first century. And then children and slaves, all kind of on this, this level far beneath free men. And you walk into a church in the New Testament, we have, the, we have some letters called the Lost Letters of Pergamum where we have these secular people who aren't Christians writing about what's happening in the church and they're most scandalized by that reality, that there are people who shouldn't be together, senators serving slaves the bread and the wine as a family, bearing witness to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what the kingdom looks like here and now. The social labels and identities that lock us apart dissolve in the house of God. So, this is the church that Jesus has put into the world to bear witness to his good kingdom, this community of impossibility where the presence of God is made known 
to the world. But how, how do we do this then? How do we become the kind of family that even in our imperfections can bear witness to a watching world through our relationships, through our love of the city, through our love of one another, through our love of Jesus that bears witness to the new creation that God is already bringing into the world? For Paul, the, the book of Ephesians is like a pre-book of Revelation. So anybody into like apocalyptic movies, books, uh, television shows, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed. Um, like, like The Walking Dead or whatever. Nate, say it out loud. What's your, what is it? What's your, what, what, what's your deal? No shame. Your favorite like apocalyptic, like Book of Eli. What do you say? What did you say? Book of Eli. That's a good one. So I, I was told you would help me out here. I'm asking for legitimate examples. I'm just up here by myself. So you say Iron Man? Oh, I am legend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In case you didn't hear, he said Barbie. So our word apocalypse and what we consider the genre of apocalyptic comes from the book of Revelation because in the book, of, my man, you did not help us out here. Um, in the book of Revelation, things go really badly, right? Like there's a lot of, there's disaster and crisis and there's these pictures of like war and fire and all that stuff. So that's kind of what we think. But the, the Greek word apocalypse just means revelation. Something that once was hidden now is made revealed. Now is made known. And Ephesians is like the proto-revelation. The book of Ephesians is Paul trying to say that there's something that's been revealed that's been hidden, and now it's made known, and God is making it known through the church, and it's all about Jesus. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, this is Paul's thesis. This will be on the screen. That God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for just the right time. And that time, he says, is now. For at the right time... God is going to bring all things together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in Jesus. The world that we see and live in, the world that we don't see but also inhabit, overlapping, made manifest in Jesus through the church. That's Paul's thesis. That like when people look at the church, they're going to see Jesus and they're going to be, their, their minds are going to be opened up to the reality that they didn't know existed but always hoped did. C.S. Lewis said, if you, you probably know this, you might have heard this quote before, if we find ourselves looking and looking and looking in this world for something that will satisfy and we can't find it, then that's evidence that we are made for something more than this world. But that's not some world out there. That's a world that overlaps with ours now. This world in which God has made everything beautiful in its time, this world where God is present and loving and moving and making all things new, even now. God is bringing the kingdom of God, a new creation to this world through the church. God is making all things new, restoring, bringing renewal to this good world that he loves by his life, death, and resurrection. And the church is a demonstration community. And I love this so much. I love the church. I've been hurt by the church. Anybody else? I've hurt people unintentionally. I have sinned and caused pain. I'm a part of some people's church hurt story, and I may not even realize it. 
But I love the church. I love who God has designed this thing to be. This multicolored, multifaceted, what, what Paul calls it, the wisdom of God on the theater of the cosmic stage. Like all of the world is looking in to see the wisdom and the beauty of God's plan. And God's attention is saying, look at my church. Look at my people. This is the wisdom of God on display. You and I. And in this way, the church is like a prism. Someone say prism. Not prison. For some people, the church has been a prison. Prism, like the thing you look through. Um, I'm not a physicist, but I know how a prism works. If you look at a prism, uh, there's, there's the person who's looking through, and then there's the whole and intact image on the other side. And the prism creates different ways that that light and that image refracts off of. So if you move around and look at the image through the prism, you get different angles, different glimpses of the whole and intact image on the other side. The church, each local church is like a different angle on that prism through which the world is to look and see, not us, not the rim, but Jesus. Like the only, I've been attending churches without having to do anything. And again, it's weird, and I don't know what to do with my hands, you know. The only thing that makes this meaningful is that Jesus is here. Like the only thing that's extraordinary, the only thing that's truly special about this place is Jesus. The only thing that endures beyond what is honestly a pretty cool setup. I mean, I can't stop moving. I feel bad for people who are behind me, you know. This is a pretty sweet setup. Man, the team was, was dope this morning. They led us well. You've got an incredible community of leaders who genuinely love you so much. But none of that endures like the presence and power and the goodness of King Jesus. That's what makes this place special. Our way of life, what we say, what we do is to bear witness to Jesus and the kingdom of God that makes all things new. I'm also used to having a countdown timer and I have no idea how long this has been going. We're going to land the plane. I have three metaphors for you that we'll end on. How do we become over time more and more these kinds of witnesses that can bear witness to Jesus so that we disappear and the composite image of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what people see when they look at this church. Uh, Three metaphors. Altar. Someone say altar. A table and fire. Altar, table, and fire. Altars in the Bible are all about the presence of God. So what comes to mind? Say it out loud. What comes to mind when you think of an altar? Sacrifice, like blood. It's pretty gruesome. Uh, what else? Anything else? Holiness. My oh, man, did you see my notes? Anything else? Prayer. You did. You guys, you, got, you read my notes. That's it. In the Bible, altars are about the presence of God. It's, it's more than just the ritual sacrifice. It's more than just uh, the performative religion. Altars are about setting apart a place for the presence of God. This mostly happened in the temple. That's like the pinnacle of the presence of God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there is no temple. The temple moves out from a place in a location to a people all around the world. So this is now the temple of God. You and we, not not this building, us, wherever we are gathered, wherever we are, on mission in the city, loving one another, we are the temple of God. And the invitation, the, the, the image of an altar 
is to set apart your whole life, not just when you come to church, not just when you're gathering with your group. What do y'all call small groups around here? House church? What else do you call small groups around here? Small groups. <laughs> Community groups. Okay. Like every other church, there's a thousand names for it. But whenever you gather in somebody's house or in a backyard to love one another, to welcome others in, to meet Jesus, those spaces, that's the temple. We are living stones that make up the temple of God. And at the heart of our, not just when we gather in those spaces, but when we're at work, we're raising our kids, when we're at the pool. I'm guessing y'all have to be at the pool like all the time here or else you can't survive. When you're eating tacos, tacos are my love language. This is heaven for me right now. So many good tacos here. Wherever you are, wherever you go, we are an extension of the temple of God. That space is to be made an altar set apart for the presence of God. That God wants to be there. God wants to make himself known. How do you know? He's put you there. He wants to make himself known. And altars are about holiness. And I don't know what comes to mind when you think about holiness, but holiness isn't just about doing the right thing. Holiness is about living a way of life that forms us into people who are capable of giving and receiving love from God and giving and receiving love from others. And anything that gets in the way of that, any sin that gets in the way of that, the holiness is about pushing those things that dim our vision of God out of our lives that we might know and experience and be formed by him more for the good of others. So we set apart our entire lives to be holy, loving, self-sacrificing, self-giving people in the image and the way of Jesus. John Tyson talks about um, forming altars that are set apart for the presence of God in our hearts, in our homes, in our churches, and in our region. Spaces that are set apart for prayer for the presence of God in our hearts, our homes, our churches, and our region. I'm curious if the Lord has been inviting you into a deeper encounter with him in his presence, in your own heart, in the context of your home, whether it's roommates or family that you live with. If he's inviting this church, are you sensing even in this church, if this is your home, an invitation deeper into prayer? An invita- a hunger, an uptick in hunger to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and for the sake of the world, give your life away for Jesus. And then in a region, it expands beyond just one church, but that God loves the city enough to want to reveal himself to that city through his people. Um, I was in London not too long ago, and this, that, this is my first time there. The whole pur- purpose of that trip was to hear stories of churches Uh, who have been living on mission, trying to be this kind of church in a radically post-Christian, deeply secular environment where people, when when they think about Jesus or the church, it might as well be the Easter Bunny or Santa Claus. Um, There's kids in here, so I won't say why those two things are different, but you know. Um, And there are story after story as we went on these kind of listening tours to hear what God is doing in these churches in the heart of London the ways in which people who wouldn't have never given God a second thought wander into a church just feeling compelled to be there, whether it's a prayer gathering or a Sunday morning like this, and the gospel's proclaimed, and they are exper- they're encountering God, but they have no category for it, so they just walk up to somebody like at the table, and they're like, what is happening to me? And they're like, it's the Holy Spirit, mate. Like, you're meeting Jesus. The space is set apart for the presence and power of God. And when we do that, God reveals himself to us and through us to the world. 
Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercy of God, present your bodies, your whole life, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So there's the altar. That one takes the most to explain because it's the most foreign. Then there's the table. Someone say table. The church was born in homes, birthed out of homes. The way of Jesus is carried out in the ordinary space of a home. At the center of a home in the Middle Eastern context, the first century context, is the table. That's the center of hospitality. It's the heart of the home. And if altars are about holiness, then the idea of a table is about hospitality. Someone say hospitality. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, Paul says, practice hospitality. Those two words on the surface in the English language are easy to pass over. The Greek words that are behind them are far more vivid. The word hospitality is philoxenia, the love of the stranger, rather than xenophobia, philo is that familial love, to love strangers like family. That's what the table is all about. Uh, but then also there's that word practice. That's the same word that's translated persecute. And when you're persecuting somebody, you're order, you're, you're ordering your entire life, all of your energy, all of your time around achieving a specific goal. So Paul is saying like, order your lives around loving strangers like family. And this way we bear witness to the presence of Jesus in the world. That's the table. And then lastly, there's the fire. Altar, table, table. and someone say fire. Um, the idea of fire and an altar are linked in the Bible. So fire would consume the sacrifice that was made on the altar. Uh, in the book of Acts and Pentecost, something nuts happens. It's so nuts that everybody assumes that the people who are at the center of it are drunk, that they're wasted. And what's happening? If you know that story, what's happening? You say it out loud. They're seeing something like tongues of fire hovering over these 120 men and women who've been filled with the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel to whoever would listen, and they're all hearing it in their own language. This is spectacular. This is how the church is born. Fire in the New Testament becomes this metaphor for the Holy Spirit that dwells in us individually and as a church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? The presence and power of God is dwelling in us, present in us, empowering and transforming us to bear witness to Jesus. That fire ignites and animates and sustains all we do. And this gets at the idea of spiritual formation which is the process of being transformed into the image of Jesus, not just so that we can be a holy huddle, but for the sake of the world. So the Holy Spirit given to the church to be on mission, to love the world like Jesus loves the world. So if you, if you will, this, this is where we're gonna end. If you would, would you, if you're physically able and willing, would you stand to your feet again? the witness of the scriptures would say this about the church, about this church, that God has placed the rim in the city for the city, not to consume the city's resources in order to live the most ideal life possible, not to stand apart from the city looking into it and judging the city, not to abandon and not to save the city, 
but to love the city as we bear witness to the risen Jesus who is among us, who is making all things new. Jesus is the hero. We're his friends who carry out his mission with him and in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you would, maybe just if you feel comfortable, close your eyes. I don't think this is a shady bunch. I don't think anybody's going to steal anything from you. You can close your eyes. And just kind of get in that posture that we were at the beginning, with just your hands extended in front of you. Uh, And we'll end where we started, with just this prayer, come Holy Spirit. So if there's there's an invitation you sense from the Lord, um, if there's an uptick in, in hunger from more of him, if there's an uptick in a desire to love your neighbors, to press more deeply into the community that's here, to, to know and be known, um, if there's something that's in the way of your love and desire for Jesus that you know you just, you just want to walk away from because it's just not worth it. Whatever it is, whatever we need as we follow Jesus, the prayer is always going to begin with more of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that produces peace and love and joy and hope and all the rest. This is why when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit if you just ask? So we pray. For what lies ahead, come Holy Spirit. For my heart, for my home, for this church, for our city, we pray, come Holy Spirit. For the uncertainty that lies behind, for the ahead for the wounds that lie behind, we pray, come Holy Spirit. It's the practice of this church to just be in silence for a couple of minutes. So I just want to give that. As we pray on our own, uh, when the worship team begins to come up, they'll, they'll play, give us a little bit of a kind of accompaniment to this moment. And if you want to just reach out to someone around you and just pray together, just be honest about where you need more of the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life, then do so. Just take this moment to listen to and to respond to the Lord however he leads. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's Word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.